in today's episode. Changing from a ploughed system to a non-inversion tillage system is not just changing your plough for mm -hmm. a different sort. It is, well, if you do that, you'll probably run into trouble. If you look at your whole farming system, then you can make a success of it. So we found last year that actually at the more um, mature site, uh, the site that's been under direct drill for 20 odd years, um, the best yields were obtained uh, in a non-inversion tillage uh, scenario. Whereas at the site that's typically been ploughed for the last few decades, um, the plants yielded best under the plough-based system. Welcome to CropCast. I'm Tiffany McTaggart and today we're joined by Professor Adrian Newton from the James Hutton Institute and Dr Henry Creason from SRUC. I'm very excited to have them with us today to talk about integrated pest management and non-inversion tillage. If you listen to the end of this episode, you'll also hear an update from out in the field. Thanks, Henry and Adrian, for joining me today. Henry, do you want to start by introducing yourself? Thanks, Tiffany. I'm Henry Chryson. I'm a researcher at, in the crop protection team based at King's Buildings for SOC. Um, and my background is really in applied plant pathology and integrated pest management. And the same for you, Adrian. Yes, Adrian Newton. I'm at uh, the James Hutton Institute uh, based in Invergary. And I'm a <coughs> cereal pathologist or agroecologist, I think, more these days. Okay. Excellent. So two great people to be talking about IPM and tillage today. So, Henry, do you want to just start by just a brief introduction to IPM? So IPM is a holistic approach to pest management, which aims to maximise productivity and profitability whilst minimising the negative impacts of production on the environment. So it's farming profit profitably in an environmentally sensitive manner. That's definitely a great way to sum up IPM. Adrian, do you have anything to add? Well, just thinking about what goes into it, um, it's actually, it's about lots of different components. Uh, the sum of them together uh, might be more than the components separately. So it's, it's about just combining different things together in a complementary way. And that's why we need to understand what each bit does. And hopefully some of the things we're going on to talk about, uh, talk about those different components and how it's really important to understand how they work together. So it's not about just having a magic wand to solve a particular problem. It's about using lots of different things together. Yes, it's about that optimal optimal mix of pest control techniques and tools yeah. um, and as Adrian said a lot there's a lot of interactions that can occur between these pest management techniques that we have to take into consideration when uh, recommending IPM programs. Henry, Adrian you've both been doing a lot of work um, around IPM and tillage do you want to just give a brief overview of the projects which you're involved in? Henry do you want to start? Sure. So over the last few years, Adrian and I have been working together on a Mains of Lawston funded project looking at the effect of tillage regimes, so non-inversion tillage versus plough in, in a winter barley crop. So we're looking at two different 
winter barley varieties, one more resistant than the other to the main disease threat, Rhynchosporium. Um, and we're looking at uh, how they perform under three different tillage regimes. So whether it's direct drill, in which we remove the infected crop residue, uh, or direct drill where we're leaving that, that trash on the surface, and then a plough-based system. And those crops are experiencing either zero or one or two uh, sprays. So they'll either get a uh, T0, a T1, T2, just a T1, a T1, a T2, or they're unsprayed. So we can look at the effect of tillage regime and how that interacts with varietal resistance, uh, leading to disease levels and therefore fungicide requirements. Um, we've been very fortunate in that we've been allowed to conduct this trial at uh, a site that's been ploughed for the last few decades uh, at the James Hutton Institute. And also not too far away um, in Leven, we've been fortunate in that one of the farmers there, Doug Christie at Drury Farms, is allowing us to plough up a portion of his field, which has been in direct drill for the last 20 odd years, to look at these sort of comparisons and how those interactions affect management decisions. And that's really what we're designing these trials to do, is to give farmers the best evidence so they can make better decisions around this relatively unexplored in, at least from a scientific and plot-based uh, um, trial design system, um, how uh, they should be considering um, the challenges and, and dealing with the challenges of switching between different systems. And any change in practice, there are going to be new challenges to consider. Adrian, what are the projects that you're working on? Yeah, we've been looking at um, varieties growing under inversion and non-inversion tillage for quite a few years under different systems. And that work has been funded by the Scottish Government Resus uh, Programme initially, and then some work together with Henry uh, on uh, Lauriston funding. Um, we also have a couple of research platforms at Hutton, one which is called Greaves House, which is looking at inversion and non-inversion tillage long-term under spring and winter rotations. And there we're looking in great deal of detail, root structure and uh, soil structure and, and uh, composition as well. And the other is the Centre for Sustainable Cropping, which is a um, six crop rotation, which is now in, I think, about its 12th year. And there, so we're looking at comparing what we might call conventional management with integrated management, a major component of which is a uh, tillage difference between inversion and non-inversion tillage in, in the two halves, but many other management things as well. And so that gives us a, a chance to look at the whole farming system in the long term. And within that, we've also looked at varieties as well. We're also starting to look more at the, the system and how that may change over time. Um, and that's why under this new round of recess, Scottish government funded work, we're looking at a spring barley, continuous um, spring barley crop uh, with different tillage regimes being examined and also different cover crops in between the spring barley crops, also under investigation for their effects on pests and diseases. 
So this will be part of a, a trial that would run for several years. And within that trial, we'll also be building on previous um, Mains of Lawston and Freestas funded work on biological disease control agents such as um, various different strains of fungi and bacteria um, and also elicitors of plant defense responses as well. Um, so we're pulling that all together into these sort of systems trials now um, that go some way to better replicating what goes on in practice. Um, as we've said, this is a very much a trajectory that requires many changes to be introduced at the same time because of the synergistic effects and how these uh, different components interact. There's definitely a lot of trials work being carried out and I think Henry and Adrian you're definitely the right people to be talking to us today. So a lot of people are talking at the minute about moving to minimum tillage and no tillage um, and moving away from the traditional ploughing methods and I'm sure this is having a big impact on IPM. So just for people who are starting to move across from ploughing um, to non-inversion tillage, what are some of the things they might need to be thinking about? So one of the main ones would be management of grass weeds. Generally speaking, there's an increase in grass weed issues as you move from a plough to a min-till-based system. Um, there can also be a reduction in uh, broadleaf weed issues because those weeds, seeds are staying low down the seed bank where they're not going to germinate and pose a threat to the crop. Um, generally speaking, grass weeds uh, are much less dormant than uh, broadleaf weeds. So that would be one of the main ones and that's a major challenge for anyone moving to these systems. Um, we're also now considering the implications on disease management. In these min-till, reduced-till, direct-drill systems, non-inversion-till systems, there's a lot more crop residue, infected straw, leaf material on the surface, which can harbour disease. And that initial inoculum uh, can really start off an infection way before um, it would normally happen under a plough-based system. Can I also just take a, a one step back as well, which is changing from a ploughed system to a non-inversion tillage system is not just changing your plough for mm -hmm. a different sort. It is, well, if you do that, you'll probably run into trouble. If you look at your whole farming system, then you can make a success of it. And there's many farmers who, who've uh, learned that, uh, sometimes the hard way, um, but uh, often from the advice of others as well who, who've gone through that, that process. Because what you're changing in, in, in from one system to another is your nutrition is, is different um, even things like you know speed the soil will warm up in the spring is different the amount of water in the system the fertility because you'll be doing it together with um, cover crops and, and, and things like this which uh, Henry will probably say something about some research he's doing on that in a minute um, but it's it's about a more balanced a more complex system so when we come to IPM that's the context we've changed in. And, and as Henry was saying, yes, weeds are going to be very different in that sort of system because your whole management is different as well. With diseases, yes, they can be quite different as well because of crop um, residue and inoculum and things, but also because 
um, the plants respond differently under two different systems. They're responding to changes in the growth environment. They're responding particularly to changes in what's going on in the soil. And many people might, might have heard of things like um, induced resistance and things. That's often uh, induced through microbes in the soil. And they will be different under the two systems. And one of the things we've already found is that for some diseases, not all, for some diseases, you'll actually get um, less of a problem with them because the uh, plants are better prepared, better they're primed to respond better to when inoculum lands from su something such as a mildew spore or a, a rust spore. That applies to certain types of diseases, not to all diseases but they can be more inherently more resistant to some diseases. Equally, they could be more susceptible to others because maybe different reasons, such as more inoculum in the surrounding environment. That's very interesting. So do we have some examples of which diseases uh, you're more likely to find or which ones might have um, the plants being able to resist it better? Well, well I'll, I'll just pick up again on that set I, I highlighted mildews and rust for example there and this this is work that we've actually found through several trials where we've been doing some of these trials on um, immature sites in terms of the tillage and some on very mature sites so where you know, there's been 20 odd years of non-inversion tillage and we compared ploughed versus non-ploughed on, on such sites and we find for example something like yellow rust on uh, wheat um, will be about, oh, I don't know, about 20% of the level um, on the non-inversion tillage compared to the inversion tillage, a real dramatic difference in the level of disease. And the same thing happens to mildew. Mildew, whether it be on wheat, uh, winter barley, or spring barley, um, again, you can get quite a dramatic difference between the two. But these are characterized by uh, the, the resistance is effective depending on how fast the plant recognizes that a spores landed on it. It's about speed of response. And probably what happens is the resistance mechanisms are better primed to respond in the non-inversion tillage. And this is probably induced through things like better mycorrhizal development, maybe other soil microbes which are all known to induce resistance response, or at least prime resistance response. So those are the primary examples there. But um, other diseases such as, say, Rhynchosporium on barley, we might well get higher levels, but this is not due to uh, the plant being more or less susceptible, usually. We're not, not certain of that at the moment. But um, it's more to, to do with how much inoculum there is there. Because in a um, non-inversion tillage system, you're likely to have a much more debris on the surface. So that'll have inoculum there, which can more readily splash up onto the plant. So that will therefore affect your strategy for controlling those diseases. I don't know if Henry wants to pick up on that in particular. Yeah, so on the Rhynchosporium story, and this is something that we've found in the last few years where we've had winter barley trials um, in Fife and Persia. And, and we found consistently that under the direct drill system in which we leave all of the infected crop residues on the surface, there's because of that initial inoculum, there's much more issues related to brinkosporium, which is a bigger ro yield robber generally than 
and powdery mildew, for example. We'd also expect similar um, with uh, septoria, again, uh, trash-borne disease primarily anyway. Um, so you'd expect potentially more issues with septoria in wheat uh, under these non-inversion tillage regimes as well. Um, it is influenced by many factors, including the variety as well. So we found that those resistant varieties, you're going to get potentially more value for them um, because of that higher initial inoculum um, under the min-till system when talking about resistance to those major trash-borne diseases. Henry, what about um, differences for T1s and T2s? Mm-hmm. So within this trial uh, that is joint between SIDC and uh, James Hutton Institute, um, looking at two different sites, one relatively immature in terms of how long it's been in non-inversion tillage and one that's been into non-inversion tillage for about 20 odd years. So we found last year that actually at the more um, mature site, uh, the site that's been under direct drill for 20 odd years, um, the best yields were obtained uh, in a non-inversion tillage uh, scenario. Whereas at the site that's typically been ploughed for the last few decades, um, the plants yielded best under the plough-based system. So there's definitely a, an effect of site here, which can be quite pronounced in terms of yield responses. Um, and that's partly due to the amount of diseases that are present, uh, but also other things going on with the soil. So quite often we find that um, because of that initial inoculum and because in this winter barley trial, Rhynchosporium being the main target for fungicides, the main yield robber, um, there's definitely an advantage of those additional sprays. So the, the T1 and the T2, potentially even a high pr pressure situation, also a T0. Um, under the direct drill system where the residues have been left on the surface. Well, actually, um, in a low disease pressure year, um, we found that in the plough-based system, in 2021 anyway, one spray, so just a T1, um, would be sufficient to protect your crop from substantial yield losses. And actually, for the more resistant variety, there was no yield advantage of having any additional sprays, so no yield advantage of a T0 or a T2. And, and plough-based system where you've got uh, a resistant variety. So if people are looking to move to non-inversion tillage, am I picking it up right that basically they should be sticking at it for a good five, ten years before they start seeing more of a benefit because they've stuck at it and there's more um, inoculum? not just stuck at it but think about it's the whole system that you've got yes. to change as I said earlier um, if you just uh, uh, what we tend to do is we compare just changing one thing such as plowing or not that's an artificial situation to, to some degree we can learn a lot from it but the true farming situation is where the whole system is quite different so yes absolutely it needs to be something which is factored into every farming operation and your whole objectives and your all, all your planning to get it to work for example um uh i mean normally if i compare uh inversion and non-inversion tillage, you're going to get higher yield in the uh, inversion tillage, the plough situation. But that's not really a fair comparison because I'm comparing under high input, high nutrient conditions geared for that sort of plough type agriculture. You should, 
you really can't do the totally direct comparison as we were the scientists trying to change one factor at a time. It's about comparing systems, really. And as Henry pointed out last year, under particular stresses, uh, the, the site, which was a mature non-inversion one, actually did better than a plowed system. So that's when they really come into their own, particularly under higher stress years for whatever re reason the stress comes in, whether it's drought stress or uh, temperature or disease or any of these things, they tend to be a much more robust system in a number of ways. And the disease control is just one, one factor in amongst that. So as Adrian said, it's it's really a, a technological trajectory. So it's not about just changing the, the way that you cultivate the soil. It's about sort of lengthening the rotation, making it more diverse, introducing cover crops. And that's typically why, um, because of all these changes to the soil can take quite a while, um, it's typically why yields can be poor or more variable in the first few years of moving from a plow-based system to a min-till system. So like with any sort of large-scale conversions, if someone's going to convert organic, you'd probably start small and then gradually build it up over the farm rather than fully changing every operation on the farm in one fell swoop. It definitely needs a slightly different mindset to make all these changes to make sure you're maximising what you're doing with it. So does it have an implication on sowing dates as well? Uh, yes, it uh, probably does. Again, I, I can't think of any systematic research done on this because it's um, quite difficult to do. But one of the good things about talking to the farmers who've been into this for quite some time is you will get the knowledge such as they have learned to sow in a, a, a non-plowed situation a bit later because you need a bit more time for the soil to, to warm up. Whereas, of course, if you plowed, you've stimulated microbial activity and things like this, and you probably will have got it to warm warm faster. So you really change the uh, seedbed conditions in, in, a, in a substantial way. So you also have to think about how long do you want to leave your seeds sitting there in a sort of cooler, damp environment, etc. So it's, it's looking at uh, the whole thing in a different way. I mean, one of the characteristics of the farmers who are making non-inversion tillage work is they have tried all sorts of things. They have made mistakes. They talk to each other about them and they learn from these things. And sometimes as a researcher, we're, we're catching up behind them. So it's really good to sort of see uh, what they've learned. And then we, if we can put some um, method behind it or explanation of the mechanisms, that's even better that we can then progress it still further. But uh, yes, they, they, they are, they're, they're probably reducing a lot of their inputs in terms of fertilizers, pesticides, things like this in that sort of system they're actually increasing their inputs in terms of management and all the planning and uh, monitoring that goes on so it's not an easy way of doing things uh, but it's a, certainly uh, i think one which builds a much more resilient system that's going to weather all, all the things such as high fertilizer prices and and uh, climate uh, challenges and things like that so yeah so in a way, then it sort of mirrors um, IPM in terms of there are some things you can do that are relatively straightforward, changing varieties and things like that, adjusting fungicide programs, whatever it may be. Um, but actually to, to get to a, a situation where you're almost farming in a, a, a very low input system and that's uh, 
for want of a better word, resilient, because that can mean lots of different things, but able to buffer against these abiotic and biotic stresses uh, in a manner that um, means that profitability is not affected, or at least there's no cost in terms of the switch to a more um, soil-friendly farming system. Henry, you mentioned earlier about cover crops. I know a lot of farmers are now thinking about should they put a cover crop in, should they put green manure in. Um, so have you found what impact it has doing non-aversion tillage on having a cover crop? We've just started some work in this area. We've uh, a trial planted uh, in Edinburgh at our bog hole farm, looking at the effect of non-inversion tillage and plough and plow systems um, and different cover crops um, in a spring barley continuous cropping situation. So we have spring barley, then overwinter cover crop, followed by spring barley. And we're going to do that for four years under the two different um, tillage treatments. Um, there are some things to be aware of when selecting cover crops, because some of these cover crops uh, can potentially become weeds on farm. They can harbor diseases and pests. Um, and there would be particular issues that people should be aware of uh, around growing brassicas and uh, too many times in the rotation it can lead to club root issues, for example. But there's also a lot of other unknowns out there um, about the effect of particular cover crops on, say, soil-borne pathogens like fusariums. And that's a, a target of our research going forward. And how about intercropping? Is the research going on on intercropping and the impact of having different varieties together? Uh, yes, there's uh, there's been a considerable increase in um, work on intercropping over the last few years. And in fact, we have been involved in one of several um, European Union projects which have gone on for several years. So there's quite a wealth of experience across similar agricultural regions around Europe. Part of, this goes very well with the movement towards lower input agriculture and one of those lower inputs is of course soil tillage. So yes, you know, uh, a lot of people are beginning to look at growing crops with uh, such as a cereal with a legume and the legume is there to provide fertility. But uh, the combination of the two has many other interactions other than just providing fertility. And it may, for example, reduce the, the disease impact. In fact, we have data which shows that the disease impact is less than you expect from the components separately. You also get uh, reduced pest impact as well. Uh, if you design your intercrops well, you can also look at better weed control, but you can also get them wrong and get worse weed control. So it's about understanding the components and how they grow together. And again, a lot of this can't necessarily be done best in plot trials. That's an important component of it. And we've been doing that. Many other people have been doing that. But the, a project which is just coming to an end now um, is one that we had with a lot of Scottish farms. It's called Seams, uh, the, the project. And we have been getting farmers to grow the mixed crops, intercrops that they are interested in for all sorts of different markets and all sorts of different interests. And we've just been bringing that information together and trying to make some sense of it 
and also feedback to the farmers what each other are doing as well and all their experiences. And we've done quite a lot of detailed analysis. And we've tried to put all this data in a database which will be publicly available where farmers can look up and say, right, well, will uh, my crop that I want to grow here work? How should I do it? What's, what have other people done before? And, but our overall analysis already demonstrates a considerable gain in yield um, and various problems reduced overall. And this is overall from real farm crops as well as our own plots. So yes, it's certainly a thing to, uh, which can have a lot of benefits, but again, it's like non-inversion tillage, uh, change your whole farming system. It's got a lot more input in terms of management and getting it right. You've got to be prepared to make a lot of mistakes as well as get a lot of uh, benefit out of it. But there are farmers really learning to uh, get this to work very effectively and reduce their inputs. And of course, inputs in terms of fertilizer at the moment, that has a massive advantage. I suppose one of the main uh, considerations when considering um, intercropping or companion cropping, whatever you want to call it, is uh, complementary the, the harvest dates are going to be in particular but also other aspects of the agronomy um, because if you've got a combination of say cereal and broadleaf crops um, in in a mix together that's going to potentially limit your use of particular pesticides as well and timing of pesticide use can become tricky as well um, so harvest dates may actually be a, a affected by a shift to a different tillage system as well if you think about the different crop species and how that may interact with the the, the soil to um, to extend or reduce uh, time to maturity um, which can be a major burden and also there's an issue around potential crop failure if you if one of the components of the mix fails for whatever reason um, you're left with a, a relatively poor stand of the the remaining components because they're less dense within the field um so there are considerations to the there and uh, the potential drawbacks um out there um some of which can obviously be remedied by not waiting till uh everything's fit and ready for harvesting um in terms of the grain and and that's why we have such success with cover crops and involving several different species because we're not having to wait for them to be all fully mature and fit for harvest if we're um, cultivating them in or harvesting them whilst they're still green as a whole crop. So if farmers are looking at starting non-inversion tillage what advice would you give them? My, my main advice would be first of all talk to other farmers who are doing it and find out what they're doing and uh, they, in general, you will find such farmers are really engaged, interested farmers who are, are keen to share their knowledge because it benefits both them and the other farmer to, to discuss it at that sort of level. So that's absolutely my first advice. For uh, not long ago, we did have a fairly eminent farmer come to us saying he wanted to change to non-inversion tillage. And although we spoke to him for some time, uh, I said, first of all, go and talk to, and I named some farmers who had already been putting that in, into practice for some years because it, you've got to get the whole farming system to work. Um, what, one other thing which maybe um, we could um, talk about with respect to this is 
do you just choose the same variety you would have chosen for uh, your plow system? And if you think about this, um, the, the, all the varieties that we use at the moment, particularly in the cereals, have been bred under plowed systems, high inputs of fertilizer, high inputs of pesticides, very highly managed, and the whole pro uh, the breeding and uh, testing procedure has been extremely successful for deriving new varieties which are really good for those conditions. But why should they be good for very different conditions where you are, the soil structure is very different, your planting conditions are very different, your nutrients, you're probably trying to reduce the uh, applied nitrogen in, in particular, you're probably building fertility in a different way. Why should the varieties respond in the same way? Now, in organic farming, some people say, oh, that's a good organic variety, but there's very little actual objective information on which really is a good variety for organic conditions. And part of that is because organic conditions are very different in one place to another. And to a certain degree, this applies to uh, the regenerative farming uh, as well. But tillage is still a major factor which does affect how some varieties grow. And we've looked at quite a lot of varieties under um, ploughed and non-ploughed conditions and done direct comparisons. Again, it's, it's a trial situation, so it has limitations. But certain things, and I hesitate to name varieties for fear that um, uh, I, I do them down by saying it doesn't do well in these conditions or things like this without having done sufficient trialing across too many environments. But what a couple of varieties I will mention in terms of spring barley, because we have trialed these under a number of different trials and fairly consistent response. Something like KWS Sassy seems to actually really like non-inversion tillage conditions and often comes out right at the top of our, our ranking. Whereas on, on the recommended list, I don't know, it's halfway down, it may have just dropped off, I can't remember, it's somewhere near that it's, it's, it's getting an older variety which is becoming a bit outclassed now. Uh, Laureate, um, which was up at the top of the, the yielders, that drops down under non-inversion tillage to the middle ranks. So they sort of swap positions other varieties fairly neutral. They respond the same to, to both. But some varieties just swap positions like that. Having said that, in one year, it just did almost the opposite. So there's big environmental interactions as well. But most years, uh, that, that is the case. Now, why? What, what's different about those two varieties? Maybe it's something like um, early vigor or something like that weed competitiveness if you've got a weedier system in one than, uh, than the other. Uh, it could be a number of different characters we don't know yet, and that's some of the research we're doing at the moment. Rooting characteristics. You'd think it's obviously going to be rooting characteristics because it's about what's going on in the soil. We haven't got the hard evidence for that yet, apart from for root hairs. That's one particular thing, but that's not a normal variable. Um, but uh, yes, root differences are likely to be uh, somewhere in there. And that's the work we're doing at the moment. So we go down the detailed route of now, find out which traits uh, are good for a variety, which is uh, good on non-inversion tillage, 
and then that'll be working with the breeders to feed that into the type of varieties they select for particular farming systems. So again, it's, it's about combining knowledge from what's happening on farm, what's happening in trials, what the breeders are doing, and then working towards the varieties which are suitable for our farming systems now and into the future, as opposed to the, what we did have, which was a much more intensively managed, more reductionist type approach. Thinking about markets going forward, there's a lot of um, indications from industry that this is the trajectory they'd like to go on as well. Thinking about everything else that comes along with farming, reducing inputs, trying to get towards uh, carbon net zero. Um, so uh, last month, Carlsberg announced that over the next few years, and uh, they'll be requiring anybody growing barley for their brands to be growing it under these regenerative agricultural practices which involves mintill and use of cover crops and uh, more diverse rotations so it's worth thinking about the markets now so you can start getting used to working in these systems and understanding how to, um, to best optimize them in your farm because potentially down the line um, you could be prevented from accessing certain markets if you're still under the conventional sort of plow-based system. It's great to hear that there's a big move towards trying to reduce the inputs and the likes of Carlsberg wanting that you can see which way um, the requirements are going so you are right it's making sure people have the heads up now and they can start planning and seeing how they can change their own systems. Henry do you have any tips for farmers? Start small to start to begin with, and perhaps before you invest a lot in machinery and everything else that comes along with it, see if you can trial it and see, because it's going to be more or less difficult depending on the type of land that you've got and the environment that you're growing in. Uh, certain soils require a lot of investment before you can reliably and consistently um, yield under a reduced till system. Um, so start small. Perhaps join an organisation like Base UK, provide great access to other farmers and, and within the network that will share experiences. And as Adrian said earlier, these farmers are generally quite happy to share their experiences. Quite often, they've uh, been the early innovators. Some of them have been doing it for 20 odd years, whereas now it seems to be the majority are sort of thinking about it more. Um, and certainly through the survey work that we've done uh, for the IPM assessment plans on the Plant Health Centre website and the NFU website in England, we found that in England, over half of the farmers uh, surveyed are using some kind of reduced till system, whether that's direct drill or min till or, or rotational ploughing, so ploughing every few years. Um, and that's becoming more popular in Scotland, um, particularly in the nearer the borders it's maybe more problematic to adopt these sorts of practices in the north of scotland uh, where environmental conditions being too cold and wet for too long um, around establishment can prevent uh, maximization of these types of practices i don't know if adrian if you've got anything to add about that i don't know if you've done trials or mintil systems uh, up in sort of aberdeenshire no, we haven't. <laughs> um, For that reason. <laughs> it, it, and one of the things, though, uh, about um, 
where you can practice the, the, this sort of um, farming and why maybe it hasn't taken up uh, so much further north is one of the things you need to do is, as, as you're talking about, um, use cover crops and getting cover crops in is the big hurdle. And of course, we're so mm -hmm. much later. So trying to establish things in time to get into winter is a major issue. And we have so uh, such a limit in the, the species which will establish. So by comparison, in the south of England, it's, it's pretty easy to get really good cover crop establishment and some very good and effective cover crops. Doing that in our latitude and obviously further north, more that more problematic that becomes. But that being such an essential component of the regenerative agriculture system is crucial to consider. And also when thinking about um, weed management and thinking about the opportunity to conduct stale seed beds and false seed beds, whatever you want to call them, to get on top of grass weed issues, you've got much uh, greater a window and um, the further south you are between sort of harvest of one crop and sowing of the next crop that allows you to use these cultural uh, weed control methods. Again, in the far north of Scotland, um, that window is dramatically reduced quite often. So the possibility of these non-chemical methods of controlling weeds um, is uh, less. It is difficult in Scotland when there's so many environmental challenges to deal with, but by the sounds of things, a good dose of trial and error seems to be the way forward and the people who've already been doing it will be a wealth of knowledge because they will have tried these things, made some mistakes and been able to give more pointers um, to farmers who are looking to start it for the first time. So what is next for research for you, Henry? So we've done some work uh, in the past, and quite a lot of work, on the value of uh, elicitors. So these are various different compounds that can have influence plant response to stress. They can prime plant responses to biotic attack, by which I mean sort of diseases and pests. Um, we've done a lot of work in the glass houses, in controlled environment rooms, and in the field and under plough-based systems. Now we're taking that into um, these tillage trials to start looking at the relative influence of these elicitors of plant defense response under the different tillage regimes and whether actually the preceding cover crop affects the way that the elicitor and other biologicals might be working in the spring barley crops. That's really the next step for us, looking at the tillage regime and uh, the effect of cover crops on soilborne pests and pathogens in particular and how that influences uh, disease and also other pests. We're working with the University of Edinburgh, looking at invertebrate pests and, and, and beneficials within these same plots. So we can get a full picture as to the relative trade-offs um, that may occur, because you could be putting some measures in place to control particular pests, which may lead to disease problems and vice versa. So once we have more understanding of the different components, rather than just looking at one or two components in, uh, in isolation as we have done in the past quite often looking at just variety or just fungicide or perhaps sometimes a combination of the two we can now start putting into these into real life situations so we've got more of an idea as to how they work when they interact and whether integrated into a production system that sounds fascinating henry we'll have to get you back on in a couple of years time to tell us what the results are for that <laughs> Adrian, same question for you. What are you working on next? 
uh, it will pick up uh, very much on what Henry was saying there because he was really describing almost farming systems, looking at the way the whole system works. And also to pick up on what I was saying earlier about uh, intercrops, where you're often growing those, particularly if you've got a legume or something like that in there, for the next crop, because a lot of the fertility left in the soil is actually for the next crop. So again, it's a back to um, this type of farming is much more complex in terms of management because you're not just managing that crop that you're looking at in the field. You're managing the next crop and you're also reacting to the, the previous crop. And it's uh, and the very reason you grow um, cover crops is often for a direct effect amongst many other things as well. So you're thinking farming system all the time. You're thinking about legacy effects. And other things will come into that, such as do you what type of product do, do you use and what will the, the subsequent effects of that be but also what varieties you 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 choose as well so everything sort of feeds in, in into that in a way so it is not about not thinking of things in isolation which we maybe have done too much in the past and uh, it's been very successful in many ways but in terms of uh, back to the what we're talking about at the start ipm multiple multiple components we want them not to just be uh, a sum of the parts we want them to actually be synergistic because the whole system is becoming better uh, and, and more resilient in the way it responds one thing for us that would really help going forward would be uh, to have farmers who are interested in us conducting research and their trial um, and are willing for us to do these types of experiment where we might be ploughing up a portion of their field that's been under direct drill for, say, 20 years um, for the sake of the trial, because getting hold of these uh, sites in which um, they haven't been ploughing for the last, say, 5, 10, 20 years is really tricky because, as Adrian said, most of our trials have been conducted under a plough-based system. In fact, almost all of them have, and uh, we're hoping to change that going forward to make it more applicable to the, the new direction of farming. So if somebody's listening today and they've been thinking they've been at direct drilling for 5, 10, 15 years, they should get in touch with you then, Henry. Certainly. Um, and as Adrian said, when looking at varietal performance under different tillage regimes, um, I know the farmer that has those a lot of those trials conducted on his land has switched his varieties because of this, because he knows that uh, that variety... Has, is doing the best on his land because it's been tested over multiple years. So there are direct benefits to the farmer uh, as well of, of having these trials conducted on their land because, as Adrian said, lots of farmers' fields are different, particularly when you get into the more complicated uh, regenerative agriculture systems where soil history, cropping history can vary quite substantially in between fields and uh, let alone between different farms. That's quite the sales pitch there, Henry. Thanks, Adrian and Henry. Next up, we have the update from the field. Hello, my name is George Chalmers, and I'm a consultant with SEC Consulting. This spring has been very challenging for farmers as they try and establish the spring crops. We're starting to see the sunshine and the soil warming up, and we're now seeing more and more fields starting to brear. Crops should start racing through the growth stages, hopefully, but unfortunately, that also means that the weeds will do the same. It now means that we need to start thinking about our weed control strategy. You need to really know 
what your problem weeds are. Is it grass weeds, broad-leaved weeds, or is it even wild oats? Remember, some weeds are more competitive than others. You have more upright weeds, such as wild oats or cleavers, that can cause real harvesting issues, and also potentially crop quality problems. And you've got other weeds at the other end of the spectrum that are quite prostrate in their nature, such as annual meadow grass, that can look pretty bad in the field, however, don't cause so much of a problem, certainly not in terms of crop yield. Ask yourself if you have a potential weed resistance problem. We're seeing more and more issues with, for instance, chickweed, not in herbicides struggling to control it. Maybe you need to start thinking about using a different chemical with a different mode of action. What are key considerations at this time of the year when it comes to weed control? Firstly, know your weeds. Match the herbicides and their rates to the weed spectrum on your farm. Secondly, do you have resistance issues on farm? If so, think about using herbicides with different modes of action. And finally, going early with spring weed control gives you the best chance of effective control and also reduces competition to the crop. Thank you very much for joining us today and I hope you've enjoyed these excellent speakers. Thank you very much for them taking the time to speak to us. Please subscribe and follow our podcasts. And if you have enjoyed it, why not listen to one of the other podcasts on the FAS series? Why not try Stock Talk? They had an excellent episode about the rare breed survival trust with Martin Beard. Why not listen to something a bit different? See you again next time. The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.